Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. Dollar, dollar. subscribe and be notified of all new podcasts from the IB Network. We would also appreciate it if you would rate and review it. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Facebook has a premium membership that allows you to post without being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, levy fines, receive free gambling picks, and a whole lot more. And with that, we are back. Goodness gracious, it's been a few weeks. Uh, with another edition of the Backdoor Cover, Ivy Sports Gambling Podcast. I am your host and gambling novelist. Novice, that's the right term, right? You don't <laughs> yeah. right? You're a noob. Yeah, there we go. And our gambling guru, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy on Facebook. What's going on, Alan? How you doing? I'm good, man. I, I mean, I couldn't do much last month anyway. I was on call. So you just won a PGA tournament today, so that's a big deal, man. Yeah, on 2K, don't give me no money. <laughs> and I'm not gonna lie, it's kind of easy to win when you have the little um, putter tracker thing on. But I'm about to take it off. I, I've literally been doing the training wheels, but I mean JT's still killing me by like 15 strokes every time. Now you gotta you gotta figure out the putting. Or at yeah. least the way I've always been on those games, I always start with it on, so you can kind of learn the speed and you know how far you hit it and all that kind of stuff, and then you can take it off and it's just guessing. Um, so there's two things we wanted to get on the podcast to talk about. Let's do golf first because uh, there's not a big field to talk about. It's the last week. Of the regular PGA season, of course, 2020 is such a weird year. We still have two majors to go, by the way. We have both the U.S. Open and uh, the Masters at Augusta in November. But this is the official end of the FedEx Cup. you got 30 guys going to Eastlake. This has been an annual deal for a long time. Very famous golf course, very difficult. They played at a par 70. The rough is really thick. Uh, driving the ball is, is very important. The greens are very big and uh, deceptively undulated. They're very fast. I mean, it, it's a golf course. And in years past, they would come into it before last year, the top 30 guys. And everybody would start at the same point. And I think the last five years before they made this last change, the top five guys all went in where if they won the tournament, they would win the FedEx and the extra $10 million. Last year, they made a new wrinkle, which I actually am all for, where they basically handicapped the field. So you got Dustin Johnson leading at 10 under. John Rahm is in second at 8 under, 2 back. Uh, from there, you have Justin Thomas at 7 under. Uh, in third, Webb Simpson at 6 under. Moore Cowley at 5 under. The guys 6 through 10 all start at 4 under. The guys 11 through 15, all three under, 16 through 22 under, 21 through 25, one under, and 26 to 30 even. So as you can imagine, the betting is a little bit off this week because you need to remember in all plays, whether it be head-to-head, whether it be first-round leader, all these different bets include the strokes that they are given to begin. So players are not starting at the same point. Uh, on the first day. 
as you see, DJ has a 10-shot lead on five guys, a nine-shot lead on at least, you know, 10 or more. It's a, it's an interesting thing, and they're rewarding the guys that have played the best. Obviously, DJ coming in very hot with his win, two second places. I mean, just DJ being DJ messing up our betting boards. Uh, Alan, is there any guys that just jump off the board to you, either for DraftKings plays or for wagers uh, to win? Um, let me Are just you- start off by saying forget Dustin Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, honestly, man, I just give up on trying to figure him out because every He's time an I enigma, talk, man. yeah, every time I talk trash about him, he does well, and every time I'm like, you know what, this is gonna be a week. He's gonna do good, and he just be terrible. Um, so there's a couple of variables uh, in this week. Uh, Webb Simpson took a week off, and he's back this week. But like Rory just had a baby, or Rory's wife just had a baby. Is it his wife or his girl? Is he married? It's his wife. Yeah. Okay, all right. Because I, I just remember him dumping that one chick by by the text tennis player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So uh, actually, up until like yesterday, nope they they wasn't sure if those two were gonna play. But um, they're they're in the field. Um, who stands out to me? Justin Thomas seems to be pretty focused. I, almost seems like he's pissed. Um, which might be a good thing. Um. He's, That's my favorite bet. Yeah, he's actually pretty solid at this course as well. Uh, in the last six times that he's played, um, he's posted like monster scores the last six times. So, I mean, that's pretty solid. Um, Rory is is up there too. He's like a plus eleven on the monster score. Xander's plus four. But the thing about Rory is, I don't think Rory's coming in in good form. So like the system that I use on number ball, they've they've got it to where they've got all 30 golfers and, and they've got their starting score. If you look at the last eight weeks and you look at the strokes gain, the top three players are John Rahm, Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas. So it's it's almost set up to like make for an interesting um tournament in the fact that the top three people are pretty much have been the top three golfers in the last eight weeks as well i think i think justin thomas is is the guy that to get it done this week i really do um i think he can he can he's only back three strokes um and like i said he looks pretty pissed off pretty motivated only two guys ahead of him yeah and on a par 70 i typically like him anyway just because of, of his style of play. Um, and then, obviously, he's got decent course history here. I, I would definitely look at him and, and favor him if I was trying to look for somebody with some value um, to either hedge the long shots or just take outright to win. And then also in head-to-head matches, last year, I don't know if you remember this or not, but last year I actually – picked on Dustin Johnson on this course. <laughs> I do because, remember this. Yeah, because he was he was somehow head to head with Justin Thomas every day. Every day. And every day I literally was betting like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Because <laughs> Justin Thomas was in such good form and DJ was just off. I mean I'm not gonna do that this year. I'm definitely gonna gonna watch it uh, uh, more so than than target him this year. But if you do find somebody like like that particular matchup, like Justin Thomas was in such good form last year, and, and DJ was struggle bus. Um, if you find like they've got like Ryan Palmer in here, Lanto Griffin's in, um, 
guys that like Sung JM, he hasn't been in good form in a while. And and I love Sung J, but he hasn't been in good form. So if you get like Scotty Scheffler against Sung J and they're giving you strokes or, or they're um, giving you plus odds on Scotty for the round, you might really want to consider that. Yeah, the um, I, I've actually been fortunate enough to play this course a few times, not even at the distance that these guys play. And man, it is like it's just unbelievable. The rough is the thing that I don't think most people understand how difficult it is to play out of because, you know, you'll miss the green by five feet and you can't see your ball. And, again, this is chipping the greens that are probably going to be rolling at 12, 12 and a half on the stent meter, so they're going to be lightning fast. Uh, Justin Thomas is also my favorite play to win this week. You're getting plus 550 odds. You mentioned he's only starting three back. He's never finished outside the top seven in this event. Uh, that was and in, that was before the three uh the format change in his three starts. So that's good. That means that he was always in the top seven of the 30 guys in the field for score relation to par for the week. And even last year, where if you remember, he came in as the favorite because he was leading at 10 under, he really struggled the first day and then bounced back and actually played well the last three rounds to finish ninth. Uh, I do want to say, I do like DJ in the DraftKings this week. I think you have to give at least one try with him in a single entry, despite his price tag, which I think it's like 15 grand, just because, I mean, he's coming off a win, two seconds. Um, you know, last year he played really bad. He finished dead last in the field. We know he was having some issues at that, uh, you know, time. But before that, under normal conditions, he has four top six and five tries, and that was without this format. Um, and again, he's got a two-shot lead over Rom, three over JT, four over Simpson. If he ended up, you know, finishing in the top six for the week in relation to par, there's a very good chance he's going to win the tournament. Not to mention you get bonus points for, you know, leading going into a round and at the end of a round. So DJ is going to get bonus points for that. And it would just be the most DJ thing ever to finish a season with a first, second, second, first, he would have won $14 million in the last month. And we need to remember that if it was not for a withdrawal, like, what, two months ago? He would have had three straight tournaments where he shot 80 in a round in one of those tournaments. I mean, enigma is almost not even the correct word for DJ. Uh, I don't... You know, totally understand it. It just would totally make sense. I would take a shot with him on a single entry and draft kings, have some lower guys. You know, you're going to have to get bottom feeders, guys that I'm going to mention, like Kisner, who is uh, he's nine back and he's a gamer. He's proven that time and again. He fights and claws in every tournament to the very last hole. Last year, he finished third. Uh, and excuse me, he finished third in his last trip here before the change in format. So he was third in the field for the week. And then ninth last year, he's also in his last three events, or events has gone third, fourth, and 25th. And he hasn't finished outside the top 25 in his last five starts on tour. He's starting eight back. There's 15 guys in front of him. I could see Kisner moving up the board. Also like Billy Horschel, who's going to be a cheaper guy. He's, again, just for DraftKings. He's 10 back, so he's starting at even. But he has no chance, basically, of winning the tournament. But in his three starts here, he has a win, a runner-up, and a seventh-place finish. And, again, that was without the format change. That was just against the field. So he has a great track record here. 
I really like him. The two guys that I'm going to play to win at the 25 to one you both mentioned, I really like Xander, who's seven uh, back. He there's there's two kind of guys that basically have a chance of coming from you know four, five, six, seven shots back and winning this thing. There's a guy like Xander who we know is just a machine, and he just does everything well, and he's going to play four really sharp rounds at a place like East Lake and shoot, you know, say 67 for four days. Because if you shoot 12 under for four days, you're going to be like have a great chance to win this tournament only being seven back. He's got great record here in his three starts. He's finished seventh, first, and then last year he finished second with the format change. You need to remember he started six shots back last year, still got all the way back up to second. So if DJ struggles, Xander's only five back of the next lowest score and only has a handful of guys in front of him. So at 25 to one, I actually like those odds. The other kind of guy that can come back and win from there is a guy like Rory McIlroy, who just has the firepower. He's, again, seven shots back. His recent form, as you mentioned, has been trash. He just had a baby, but maybe that's going to be an uplifting moment where, you know, he wants to win one for his newborn child. He did finish 12th last week, so we saw a sign of life, and that was carnage last week, so it was nice to see him play pretty well. And he's coming to a venue where he's a defending champion. He's the two-time champion. He won last year starting five back, and in six starts here, he has five top tens, the two wins, and a runner-up. He loves this venue. He is the kind of guy that could shoot 65-65 to start the week on Thursday, Friday, and then the lead would be erased. And it's just a race to the finish. So you're going to either need a guy with a lot of firepower to start, you know, four, five, six, seven shots back and have a chance to win, or somebody that's as steady as a rock like a Xander. And if you're getting 25 to one on both of those guys, I would give them a shot this week. And then the other guy that I really like, and you mentioned, and again, he did miss last week, but Webb Simpson. He is 11 to 1. He has three top fives at this venue. They were all before the rule change in his last five stops here. This course is tailor made for Simpson's game as well, and he's only four back. And remember, he's starting to show form again. He's had two top fours the last two weeks after that mini slump he had after his win in June on Father's Day at the Heritage. Um, is there any of those plays you especially like or, or dislike? I mean, yeah, with Roy, um, Roy tends to play really well when he's, like, coming from behind. Um, so it won't be as much pressure on him. Um, that might be a boost to his play. But, again, I I mean, with DJ sitting at number one, man, I feel like me saying that you should discount somebody <laughs> based off of a current form should be a warning sign. Like, because obviously I've been saying that about DJ every other week and and somehow here here we are but um looking at some of the things uh with the course because typically we don't go into these types of things but the course does like you you had said before plays harder than uh tour average on pretty much everything um and you got to think with the top 30 golfers coming here and, and all the feels that this course has had over the years They've always been like really A plus plus fills. So if he plays harder for the best of the best, you have to respect the course. And uh, one of the big things that's going to be key is avoiding bogeys. Um, and so there's a list of top 10 golfers in birdies gained plus uh, bogeys avoided um, over the last 12 lead in rounds. Dustin Johnson is at the top of that. John Rahm is behind him. And then there's Webb Simpson, Kevin Kistner. 
Harris English, Daniel Berger, Scotty Sheffer, Bryson DeChambeau, Colin Moore Cowan, and Xander Shoffley. So when you talk about building um, a DraftKings lineup, if you're not picking winners, you want to pick guys that are going to score. And that's, you know, the top 10 names right there. And if you're looking for people who probably won't be owned as much, um, I really think people are still not hip to Harris English, but he's played some really good golf. And um, he's, he's a also, Georgia boy, too, so he yeah. should have a good bit of non-tournament experience that he's like. He's had plenty of opportunities to play. Yeah, and, and he's also in that range that he's going to probably want to score, uh, whereas, like, some people might be in the range where they want to kind of kind of cruise the first couple rounds and, and then put it on. But, like, Harris English is only, like, I think he's he's opening. Um, let me go ahead and look real quick. He is opening at four under, so he's six back. So he's probably going to want to score early. In and Allen so, is not overselling. It's a lot of money for these guys. It's not yeah. just $10 million for first. You also get like an $8 million annuity for second. There's also the tournament winnings where it's like $1.4 million for one. I mean, these guys are going to get paid all 30, but there's a bump kind of with the strokes as well. So there's a big difference between finishing even 10th and like 5th or 4th. Yeah, so... If you're building lineups that are like just the two day lineups and things like that, you might want to consider Harris. Um, and then there's uh, obviously I'm big on ball striking. Uh, I say it every week. Neiman. I hate to say it again. Dustin Johnson is at the top of the list for oh, yeah. uh, for ball strikers over the last 12 rounds. John Rahm is right behind him. So obviously you guys see the trend. They're one and two coming in. So that's that's, you know, expected. Uh, a name that people probably would be surprised is as high as he is. Scotty Scheffler is uh, ranked third. Daniel Berger, who's who I'm also kind of high on as well. Um, and then Ryan Palmer is a guy, once again, if you're looking to build a DraftKings lineup, might not be a popular play, but there is some angle that uh, he would have some success on that course. Yeah. yeah. Justin Thomas, then Hideki. Obviously, Neiman is on the list, Webb Simpson, Kevin Kistner. So, again, if you're looking to build DraftKings lineups, especially in a, in a tournament like this, you definitely want to dig a little deeper for, like, the nuances and, and try to find people that are, are good at one particular thing. And I personally think that uh, avoiding bogeys on a course that plays harder than, than the tour average, so there's less birdies, less eagles, um, and then um, at least one more – uh, bogey like per round which as far as averages go that's pretty high um of a discrepancy if you, you're talking like a whole nother bogey or, or a whole nother like double bogey things like that it, above the tour average that's pretty high so you want to definitely really put stock in the guys that are going to one hit fairways because that's what i was about as, to say yeah, the driver say, is so important here. yeah if you were missing fairways you were dead yeah and and I mean, off the top of my head, I would say Xander's known to be good with the driver uh, this year. Um, DJ's one of those yeah, DJ's guys. good too. But you, you know what's kind of funny? JT has had shaky moments with the driver, but I, I swear it's just him working on stuff. I, I don't want to believe that he's really kind of lost his touch with it. And then obviously Rom is is good with the driver. So uh, I expect there's another one, right? Yeah, Burger's good with the driver as well. Not as as powerful as everybody else, but consistent with the accuracy. Yeah. And then um, you want to take a look at somebody like Tony Finau, 
Mm-hmm. I, I would say the only thing about Fina, if you're looking at DraftKings, is the fact that he's going to be a popular name. Like, people know who he is. He, he's not going to go necessarily under the radar. Um, one long shot that I like that might sneak around and, and, and uh, place in the top 10 or top 20. I don't know the odds on the top 10s and 20s or if they're doing it. But Lanto Griffin's pretty near and dear to me because he went to VCU. And I've watched I've watched him. Uh, I watched him play, and he's he's got he's got a funky game in the sense that he doesn't stand out statistically in a lot of things. But one thing that he has done consistently, and the reason why he's in this position is he can putt. And I know we we don't necessarily talk about putting per se unless we're talking about how bad Adam Scott is at it, but. It's something that you might want to consider, once again, somebody that's going to avoid bogeys. Like, that's what we're trying to do. Like, avoid bogeys. Even if, think about it, even if you shoot even, long as you're not giving strokes back to the field, you're doing better than everybody else uh, when it comes to scoring and even on DraftKings. So you might want to take a, a pretty deep dive look at him. Like, if I'm going top-heavy with lineups, I'm probably going to try to round them off with uh, Ryan Palmer and somebody like Lanto Griffin, another guy who who tends to be pretty consistent, Abraham Answer. Um, I don't know if he's got any course history here, but he's played there once last year, okay. so he's at least got one under his belt. All right, I was gonna say because the the tournaments that I've I've followed this year that he hasn't been familiar with the courses, he's done exceptionally well. Um, it hasn't phased him at all, and um, he's he's been one of the he's almost like a sponge man, like he soaks it up. And, and has been finishing pretty strong on a lot of those courses where he didn't have much course history. So I wouldn't even be scared to to take a shot with him either. I would, though, be hesitant of putting, you know, multiple guys in your lineup without history at this golf course because it just seems to be one of those that um, it's just, again, it's so difficult that it usually takes you quite a few trips around this place to sort of figure it out, particularly, again, if you're not hitting fairways, but again, if you have guys that can hit a lot of fairways, uh, they're definitely a green light here because they're going to hit a lot of greens. And then for the putting, you've had Bill Haas and you know guys like Billy Horschel, Brent Snedeker win the FedEx. Uh, all three of those guys are outstanding putters, so putting will play a, a huge role in this thing. But uh, I am excited that technically the golf season is ending the regular season and we still have two majors to go. Uh, that's been one bright side of, of 2020s. I kind of like this golf schedule better than I did the previous one. Uh, and it's really smart that they're ending it right before the NFL. And also it just needs to be mentioned. I love that they're ending it on a holiday on Monday when a lot of people are going to be chilling at the house and there's not going to be a ton on TV. Yeah. I mean, I was disappointed in baseball for how they handled the the COVID stuff, but golf has done well. I mean, you're in a position where you can get exposure like to households mm-hmm. that typically wouldn't be paying attention to you. Um, I mean, I kind of turned my mom on to watching golf for gambling purposes, which is kind of hilarious. But uh, I mean, she she admits that she enjoys watching it. You know, and she kind of learned. Um, some of the terminology and things like that. Like she doesn't mind throwing it on on a Sunday and just kind of chilling. Like I know people who say, well, I, I can go to sleep to golf. Like, it's great it's, background noise. But though, like, honestly, like play. it's, it's really relaxing to me. And, and mm-hmm. especially, um, cause the last couple tournaments, you know, I haven't, I haven't put anything on it. 
and I've still been watching. Um, and it's like I said, it's pretty relaxing. So they, I think they've done well. They got they launched the game. Obviously, we've been talking about it uh, outside the group, but I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody who's in the golf knows uh, PGA 2K21 has is amazing um, simulation to me at least. And it's about time, man. Tiger yeah, I think Woods it's games great. growing up were the best, man. They really yeah. were. I wish they would bring Tiger Woods back, but I me guess too. they can't. But um, like they got the the PGA game out. They're they're gonna launch um the final of of the PGA championship on a on a Monday, was like Labor Day and everybody's kind of chilling. Um, obviously most people are still social distancing and and they're quarantined, so there's plenty of opportunity for for names to get out and and JT if JT wins comes back and wins, I mean it's gonna really boost him. Because not only is he the face of the game, not only has he been um, on ESPN, like college game day and things like that, but he's he's younger and he, they, I think he um, he had a moment in was it the Ryder Cup or President's Cup. I think they, they had a moment where um, him and Tiger were paired pretty much for most of the uh, mm-hmm. the tournament and, and that yeah. probably boosted him as well. And he's going to be pretty much the face of this tournament if he wins it and and it's the only thing everybody's pretty much watching so it's definitely an opportunity there and that goes beyond the 10 million purse um if you think about the sponsorships and things like that that he could get or the winner could get um it makes the tournament that much more um enticing to the golfers absolutely uh, let's move on and do some quick NBA because I know we're not trying to do a, a super long podcast tonight. No, um, I'm about to get mad now. We're talking NBA. They, so let's just quickly go over that the Raptors stole Game Three, and I, I don't mean it in a you know derogatory sense. They won by one point. That series is now two one. That's the only one I don't have the current odds for that I want to discuss. Um, do you think that that series is over, or are the Raptors now back and at least a 50-50 chance of winning the series down 2-1? Man, it's hard to say if the series if, – if they had a loss today, I definitely was about to write them off, man. Like, they ain't built to come back uh, right. from down 3-1. I think Chuck, Chuck said it best at halftime. They just don't got they just don't got the weapons, man. They just ain't got the the ammo, and um, they needed um, Sockham to to play Siakam. better. Siakam, yeah. Yeah. I always He's just thinking, about it. Dang it. I get so mad about that. Going on, right? Yeah. I mean, he was pretty impressive earlier in the year, and then it just I don't know. He hadn't had the the same effect on the game it seems like, and they've had to rely more and more on their vets. Yeah, and I want to apologize, man. My backwards lingo and and stuff. I mean, Japanese dudes' names up. Dude, I'm <laughs> terrible. Yeah, see, I was, with you know, Siakam, um, Country for life, man. Yeah, he was <laughs> he was averaging like 30 a game. I think they were yeah, saying, and then it was like it was 32 points combined in the last two games. And a lot of that is is just when you look at the history of the Raptors against the Celtics this year, they just don't match up well against them. And I didn't believe it myself until um, I think it was so game one. I did pick the Raptors and I I couldn't watch game one. I was off working, doing something, but obviously seeing the final score and it seemed like it was pretty easy. So game two, I did a deeper dive into the research before I picked. And I was I was legitly shocked at how well 
the Celtics have matched up against the um against the Raptors. And then I was like, well, it kind of does make sense because they, they got a ton of athletes and they've got uh, a ton of athletes who are pretty much built like the Raptors, but have more skill. So they can do anything that the Raptors can do and, and essentially do it better. Like Tatum is of a smoother Siakam at times. And, and then he can also handle the rock a whole lot better than Siakam. He, he knows how to use his body um, down low in the post. So he presents matchups uh, that are difficult because he's too quick for guys that typically play his position and then too big for guys that you kind of hybrid on the position. So, um, Marcus Smart has been playing out of his mind, which is really, really yeah, which has really helped them. Um, and then today, I think he struggled a little from three, and so um, we we kind of got, uh, I guess, a little bit of balance. But at the end of the day, like the game today, I look at it like the Celtics didn't play that well, and it took a beautiful play and a great shot at the end to beat them. And right. so and 31 from Lowry. Yeah. So if if I'm if I'm betting if I'm betting the rest of this series, I'm just gonna keep continuing to take the points with the Celtics because even today, and it was a two and a half point spread, and I bought the the hook and brought it down to two, and the Raptors still didn't cover. So you you kind of you kind of have to humble yourself sometimes and just go with what you know, man. I did that with the with the Heat twice. I, I definitely didn't fade fade the Heat uh, game one. I actually told. So uh, actually, let's move on to the Heat real yeah. quick. So right. the Bucks are plus one thirty five. The Heat are minus one sixty for that series. Are you surprised from what you've seen in the first two games that the Bucks are still, you know, I mean, like with the Heat, you're not giving bad odds at minus one sixty in a series. They're up two nothing on and have pretty much dominated both the first two games. So. I'm surprised, but not surprised. I'm not surprised that the games were competitive. I'm not that surprised that the Heat won, especially game one. I had I actually had them win in game one. I'm not surprised that they still won game two. What I'm surprised at is how hard it is for the Bucks to to like do anything. It just looks like it's it's such a struggle, and and the Heat don't hit all their shots like this last game they didn't shoot that well and i think jimmy butler only had like 13 points at one point and they were still winning the game matter of fact butler was on the bench and they were making a run you know and it's just it's Spolter doesn't get the credit he deserves as a coach and part of that is because he he did have lebron and coach and doesn't Bosch. get the blame yeah. he deserves right no yeah but <laughs> I actually, honestly, in most coaching or, or in most NBA circles that I know and the people that I talk to, they don't give Bud a pass at all. They actually make fun of him and 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 say he's um, kind of a a whack job. He's just lucky that he coached in the East for so long and and his peers in the East, you, there's nobody really. He had a perfect lineup in Atlanta yeah. too. I saw it for what he wanted yeah. to do, but he would never adjust it when it didn't work and it would drive. Me as a fan, crazy. I mean, man can beat LeBron ever. ever. Yeah, not even a game. Ever. <laughs> but, I mean, LeBron's not there, and he still can't win uh, games. So it, it does kind of does kind of bother me um, what I'm seeing out the Bucks offense and, and how easy it is for the so Heat. Do you like the Heat at minus 160? I like, the, I like the, the Heat. Plus 135. Well, if I had to pick, I would stick with the Heat. But I would probably just take like you're gonna game get better. Game. 
Yeah, I was gonna say you're gonna get better odds game by game because again, what about the Heat at plus six hundred to win in a sweep? In a sweep? Yep. It's plus four fifty for five. I don't, I don't think they'll sweep them. I mean, it's how much is it for five? Plus four fifty. It goes. It's plus three hundred for, or excuse me, plus one seventy for six. I was looking at the wrong series, but it's plus six hundred for four and plus four fifty for five. I mean, honestly, most people, even before the series started, were saying heat and heat and six. I would rather take my chances with five and six. I I don't I don't think they're gonna they're gonna sweep them. But then again, the way the game ended last night, that's the kind of since it's our podcast, that's the kind of bullshit that <laughs> that would give a team a sweep like that. That ending that was horrible. Was, it was trash, man. It, it was, was bad. Trash. I, I, it was a makeup call too, correct? I hardly, yeah, I hardly, I hardly complain about any any ref that's not Foster, and and that was just trash, bro. And then for a makeup call in in that in that situation, I'm Bad. like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like I was throwing. You get a, run out of a high school gym making yeah. that call in a big game. I had the heat covering, and and obviously that wasn't in jeopardy, and I was still pissed at the call. Like it just. It just is not fair to the to the athletes, man. Like, because you want them to play defense in that situation, and yeah. how can they if there's any incidental contact? These it's bubble refs, the bubble refs in the playoffs have been fucking awful, and they've yeah. ruined they've ruined a lot of bets. So, and the way they've ruined a lot of bets is primarily for the favorites. So, I've been taking points left and right as much as I can, and been doing pretty good. Um. The only team they don't seem to be jipping with fouls is, ironically, the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, which I mean, there was one. Let's there was just wait one, till they get in trouble, though, right? Yeah, there was one game. <laughs> there was one game when the when the Heat played the Pacers. I think the Heat had like fifty free throws, and the Pacers barely had twenty. I can't Do remember. Do you think which the game. crowds make that big of a difference? And oh, they for they sure. swallow their whistle more, oh, knowing sure. they're not going to catch for crap sure. constantly. I don't know if you ever been down on like a on like the NBA floor. Oh yeah, like, it's crazy. Yeah, I was gonna say you can you can hear all that shit. Oh man. yeah, it, it definitely it definitely sways them because because um, that was the first thing I noticed when I I, I sat that close to the game is I'm like man these pl- like no wonder they get so pissed you can hear it a lot. Yeah, so like in baseball there was a there was a game when the Nationals played um, a team and the the ump was just awful with the strike zone and Strasburg is in the stands cuz the the players were sitting in the stands and he's yelling at the ump and he got the ump to change his call. He got tossed out the game but the ump obviously was pressured and the next pitch he he basically gave him a makeup call. So I can imagine if it's 100,000 Strasburgs or 30,000 Strasburgs or or you know 20,000 Jack Nicholsons and stuff like yeah, you're going to you're going to change um, you're gonna change your call, so I definitely think it makes a difference. And um, I, I don't know if if the bubble refs are just tired or what, but they've been they've been making some questionable calls and then trying to fix it as if they know that the people like watching at home are are gonna be on them. So in the Western Conference, you got two series that I think most people would agree. The LA team should be heavy favorites. The odds show that the Nuggets are plus 845. The Clippers are minus 1380. The Rockets are plus 440. The Lakers are minus 590. You got two teams that are coming off seven-game series. 
Uh, I know the Clippers technically went six, but they've had a few extra days rest. The Lakers have had quite a few days rest. I don't think the Nuggets or the Rockets match up very well with either of these teams. Don't you agree? Yeah, the Nuggets definitely don't match up very well. And then after watching what I saw from the Rockets, I mean, Harden was right. The the Thunder played well, um, and there's some dogs, and, and he's he's definitely right about that. I don't think they're going to get that type of dog mentality from the Lakers, but the Lakers don't have to have that type of mentality because Anthony Davis is – That's what I'm saying. Who is going to – Yeah, I was like, Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis. is – He's eight he's inches. Eat. He's eight inches taller than the the next <laughs> tallest person on their team, and he's got better handles than everybody but Harden and uh, Westbrook on that team. So he looked good in the Blazer series, in my opinion, too. Yeah, but, like he looked more assertive than. I mean, granted, it helps when you have you know LeBron, and I mean it's the first team he's had that's good, uh, you know, in the playoffs. But just to me, he looked a little bit more assertive, and I went back and looked at his numbers. Like, unless you're faulting him for, you know, not wanting more games and series and, you know, New Orleans with the roster they had, he's been really good in the playoffs throughout his career. Yeah, no, he's he's a he's a good player. He's a solid player. And he's um he's like, um you know, deserving of all his accolades. But um I Still don't like the fact that the Lakers just don't have much of a bench, man. Is Rondo coming back this series? Do you know? I've been seeing reports that he might. Um, I know Beverly came back for the Clippers, so I would think. Do you think believe if, there's any playoff Rondo left in Rajon Rondo? It's hard to say, man, because the the guys who come into the bubble, um, off the quarantines and stuff like that after their um, after their yeah so um after they're like you know (laughs) in the bubble whatever and they come in they don't they don't play well so it's it's hard to say but um i would i would think that he would still be able to help that team because he's another person that could bring the ball up the court and uh kind of facilitating it and it just kind of kind of gives lebron a a rest one thing that i saw a smart basketball player too yeah one thing that I saw that the Blazers did that I think other teams might try is that, um, to me, they had their best success when they basically made LeBron run the entire game. Mm-hmm. And and what they did, I think they used uh, Gary Trent Jr. and they pressed him and made and made him like have to push the ball up the court. And I think that really helped. And I know I'm getting a little off of the gambling aspect, but that plays a factor into your your spreads and your over unders because if LeBron's like if the Lakers really slow the ball down or slow the game down and, and start running half court, it's gonna it's gonna really suck for people that are playing like over two thirties and things like that. And um, there's something that I would keep an eye and on. You because, do see them doing that, right? Like as this goes yeah. on, they got the biggest team and the, and the best set offensive yeah. duo. They're gonna try to slow the games down. Yeah, and and as as we get further into these series i mean think about it they they still got at least at least what 12 games left mm-hmm. so and i mean and that's that's if they swept everybody and that's not happening yeah it's not and and they they could potentially sweep the rockets but they're not uh, the rockets are going to make they're going to make enough threes in one game to at yeah, least win for one sure. and that's been another issue with the lakers as well is when their perimeter shooting is is trash they have really struggled, um, and and who I don't think the Rockets have the team that can that can 
make them pay for it. But if Paul George ever showed up, the Clippers would. <laughs> Do you think that either of those series in the West goes six games? Um, uh, I, I don't. Okay. Um, and it, and then it's only depending on the health of the Lakers. Lakers stay healthy the whole time. It doesn't go six. Because I mean, the, it also looks like the Rockets are, and I, mean, I hate to say this with all the narratives that they have, but they're almost ready to fold. I mean, they, I, I was honestly shocked they survived Game Seven with the way they lost Game Six. Man, and just the fact that you know, it's what everybody kind of assumed when they got together. You have Harden, who late in the game is deferring to Westbrook, which is not what you want in that situation. Yeah, I I don't. I'm still trying to make sense of that. Um, and then the thing about the thing about the Rockets um, that is also kind of upsetting is that they they still depend too much on guys like PJ Tucker and Jeff Green to hit these corner threes. <laughs> and and I get it, man. But I, I get the idea of the concept. But I just really wish they had found somebody more consistent of a shooter to be in those positions because as the as the season gets longer or the playoffs get longer and deeper, like these guys are going to start, these shots are not going to be falling, man. And and we saw that in the OKC uh, series. Do you think they would have got rid of Capella if they knew things were going to go this way to where obviously he would be back and healthy by now for this run? Yeah. I I don't think there was anything that was going to say Capella. The minute James Harden started doing the, um, the, like quadruple dribble and right. then that, he he invented the the little step back shuffle thing yeah. like one, the minute he started doing that there was no need for uh capella because their offense d'antoni's offense isn't made for somebody like that man like amari stoudemire was able to do it because he's a, a superb athlete and and capella's a, a great athlete but he's not superb he's not he's not the monster is d'antoni uh, and maury gone if they lose the series Maury's gone though soon. China gets gets their hands on him. But, uh, <laughs> D'Antoni probably yeah. I I would say I'm 97% sure D'Antoni's gone. Like literally, you got to be championship or bust uh, at this point with D'Antoni, and um, it's gonna suck because the the rumors about him going to Indiana, he ain't got nothing like that in Indiana. So as uh, Maurice had said uh, in my chat, he was like, yeah, let him go shoot 33 pointers with Oladipo. <laughs> I was like, it is going to be terrible. But, I mean, he'll obviously bounce. He'll, like, fall forward to some degree. Like, he'll get paid uh, wherever he goes. There's all these other, like, shitty franchises looking for a name to to put in the coaching booth. So, before we get out of here, who's your pick right now to win it all? You still – I think you showed me the Clippers last time. Is that still what you like? Still with the Clippers, but I'm going to smack the shit out of Paul Pierce. I mean, Paul uh, George. I, I smack Paul Pierce, too. Yeah, I was going to say, but, I'll allow it. PG, PG is awful right now, man. And then the worst thing ever, like, look, in my job, I work with a lot of people that have, like, you know, anxiety, depression, and things like that. For him to get up there and say that he was he was struggling with that because he was in the bubble and this and that, and that's why he played bad, but people gave him, like, phone calls, and, and he, it turned it around for him. Get, get out of here, bro. Doesn't it show that's how fragile he is that he's nah, even Yeah, he is. Up? I mean, I, I kind of always knew that. Uh, based off of some of the stuff he did or said when he was out in Indiana, it just 
Indiana is not a market, so people didn't really pay attention and to it. Performances. It's just when somebody yeah. that talented, like the minute things you know become really important, and there is a lot of you know mental and thought process and stuff that goes to it, he just tends to not show up. Yeah, but he's in a good he's in a good place because the the Clippers will play hard regardless, oh, yeah. whether he shows up or not. And and Doc, for what is worth, will will do what he can to to keep getting him the ball and, and trying to get him like going because when he gets going, that team is way better. Oh, yeah. Like like literally the games that he, he actually played decent in, it wasn't even close against the match. Kawhi's been fantastic. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Kawhi's a monster. He's probably a serial killer too on the low. There's something, man. He's like Dexter from uh, yeah, yeah, Dexter. he really he, is. He's the, the nickel Dexter. Uh, I still like the Lakers this year, and a lot of it's just that if not now, when with these two guys, uh, LeBron's not getting any younger. And then just the Kobe deal, I just I, I don't know. I'm a believer in those narratives and things like that. I just think it would be uh, it would mean a lot to the franchise, the city, Bryant's family, all that. And a lot of times that stuff ends up working its uh, you know itself out. Well, the the Kobe the Kobe thing is is for both franchises because I mean Jerry West is. Yeah, but let's uh, let's be real here though. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna. I be know, but I'm just saying, like, fan. I'm like, Kawhi, I understand what you're saying. Kawhi and, and I mean, Kawhi was on helicopters because of Kobe and stuff right. like that. Like he, they worked out together a whole lot, and and literally Jerry, Jerry West is like his godfather, man. Like the, the he raised the professional. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he so he's part of that Clipper organization. Doc is a former Laker himself, you know. So that. I don't want the narrative to be like that the Lakers I obviously it means it means a lot. No, I know what you're saying. But it, yeah, it definitely means a lot to just LA in general. But I'm I'm gonna tell you, man, and, and I, I'm not trying to make it a hot take, but I I have a gut feeling that Kawhi scares LeBron and and I want to I wanna see this matchup and I want I wanna see if what I think is true and that Kawhi is literally LeBron's boogeyman. Because I mean, if you think about it, when he was when he was in Miami, it was like the same kind of struggle a little, you know, like that's Celtics who. Were yeah, and, and Kawhi was Kawhi was younger than the Warriors. That's, that's who matched up on LeBron. He's he's got the range. He's got really good hands. He's got uh, decent feet, um, and he's he's strong. There's that video from the series. I'm sure you've seen it, where when Kawhi comes in and like LeBron notices he's about to guard him. I believe it's in the 2013. He literally lets out like an f bomb. Like man, you know, like he's upset yeah. that he's back in the game guarding him. Yeah, and and I mean, shoot, people do that to to everybody. I mean, like at some point, like you know, there's always that one matchup. But I, I he was like 22 I, years old though, or 20. Yeah, he was yeah, a young he was, guy in the league then. Really young. And I don't think Kawhi's got that kind of youthful energy on defense anymore. But he he does still match up well against LeBron. And um, I, I definitely want to see that matchup and see if what I think is true. Because I'm going to slander LeBron every chance I get. Just, it makes <laughs> and that's the finals matchup, correct? Yeah. Don't you that, think well, that would be the worst conference finals matchup. Yeah. No, no, no. But I'm saying, like, don't you think that's the de facto finals? Because either of those team wins, more than likely they're going to end up winning the championship, correct? Yes and no. Oh, Celtics or the Heat? Who are we talking about? Yeah, here? so this this is the thing, and and I can hear Corey like literally rolling his eyes at me as I say this. Um, but I don't want to count out the East just yet because even even if the Clippers get by the Lakers, they've been pretty flawed this entire playoff. 
um, and and been pretty lazy at times as well. Um, so I would have to take a wait and see approach, but I, I feel like whoever whoever comes out the the East is going to win at least two games against whoever comes out the West. That's fair enough. And then one final question, and we'll really we'll get out of here. I've came around to the point where I actually think that a ring this year. If, if you're saying each championship is not exactly the same, which I actually think they are, I think this ring will mean more and been harder to win than any other ring ever before because there's really no home court advantage. Uh, you know, the acceleration of the end of the season, this almost like open court type basketball games. At first, I was thinking, you know, are people going to try to say, well, this, you know, this ring doesn't count them up? It wasn't a normal season. But having seen everything and how much, you know, road teams are winning and and there's no home court advantage, I actually think it's going to be the opposite because, like, these one seeds, like, the Bucs really got screwed. They're really good at home. They're getting no kind of home court, you know, all the advantages that come with it. Yeah, I mean, if if you win it, you you have essentially earned it. I get what you're saying because this is a neutral court. Correct. So it's essentially made the best team win because the team that's – most affected by not being able to play at home is the Denver Nuggets because they got the altitude right. advantage. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, you know, everybody's rested. Everybody's playing the same schedule every other day. Um, yeah, you, if you win, you earn it for sure. But at the, at the same, in the same breath, you got to think too, that there are teams here that made it like the trailblazers that if the season had to continue, I don't know if they would have actually made the playoffs. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, you got anything you want to plug before we get out of here? And we've been um, here an hour, man. I'm proud of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do a NFL preview. Um, it was supposed to be FanCast, but it's probably just gonna be me and me and Mark Colley. Um, oh, I better get to do the Falcons. Or I'm gonna be upset. Well, I'm, I might have to add you on then. But the issue, the, honestly, I, I want to apologize to everybody. The, the issue is, is that honestly, last month I was on call every but single. Don't apologize day. to them. You're doing yeah. two podcasts a week. I know, you ain't got to apologize it's been, to any of these rough, people. Man. Okay. I know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep up with bets and keep up with these crazy kids and 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 uh, still trying to provide content. Is we been, ain't gonna pay like, for this shit. Yeah, but um, but yeah, the only thing, the only thing I would plug is if you are listening. Hear me. Tis the law is winning the Kentucky Derby. It's not even a question of of if. It's a question of about how much. Tis when is the that law, race? That is Saturday. Tis the law. Tis the law. Um, he's a heavy favorite. Um, but you can get it on a, on a sports book. You can get him. Um, I saw he was uh, minus 175 today. By the time he hits the gate, if you use the race book, he'd probably be like a three to one favorite. Like people are going to hammer him. Um, if you're looking for a long shot, uh, King Guillermo is a 20 to one. He's got a lot of a uh, lot of speed. He'll be up front. The the issue is though, and I'm going to break this down real quick. The issue is is that the pace of the race is probably going to be dictated by King Guillermo, uh, New York traffic, and then I want to say Authentic, who is on the outside of Tiz. So Tiz is is a early pace setter slash stalker and he's actually kind of um a a wolf in sheep's clothing because he's actually the fastest horse in that entire field so if he wanted to sprint out the gate and he wanted to get up front and and run out 
he would be the fastest horse, but that's not his his style of running. So he's going to probably be off the off the uh, leaders, probably in like third or fourth to start out. So if you take him, don't freak out. He usually waits until the last turn to make his run or or the second turn um, or yeah, to make his run. So don't freak out. Um, but if you're looking for exactas and trifectas, take any of the speed horses I just talked about, King Guillermo, Authentic, New York Traffic at the end of, of those trifectas and superfectas. But look at um, look at um, obviously uh, Tis the Law and then any other horse that people consider to be off the pace uh, because the pace will, will be a little above average in far speed. But those horses will get tired out by Tiz as because, like I said, he's the fastest horse and he's just going to grind them until like the last turn and then pass everybody like he does every race. Um, so keep that in mind that those horses will be gassed out. So there is going to be a chance for some of these late 15, 20, 30 to ones to, to maybe hit the board and you'll get a good payday. I like to hear that. Uh, I just want to plug the Team Turnbuckle Wrestling Podcast. Sam Howell, who is an IB uh, original member, right? Sam's been around for forever, hasn't he? Sam Howell doesn't care about black people. Oh, I'm just playing. I can't wait to play that for him. It'll hurt his feelings. Sam's such a good guy. That'll really hurt his feelings. But he's actually, he's actually, uh, I want to say he's second or third generation. He wasn't an like. I'm not even original member. I'm like second generation. So maybe he's like third or fourth. Because I I came in the second wave, I think. Well, Um, I just know him from roast day. He's joined us uh, on the wrestling podcast. It's been a wonderful addition with me and Ron L. Sam is so smart. He's like an encyclopedia. And I just am really enjoying doing the podcast because if uh, you don't follow wrestling, Roman Reigns, who is like the guy, uh, he has came back. A lot of WWE Internet fans hate him. And I just get so much enjoyment uh, in that and seeing him push to immediately win titles and stuff that I'm just having a lot of fun messing with people. So uh, that's been really good. We're going to be recapping the AEW pay-per-view either Sunday or Monday of this week. That pay-per-view is on Saturday. Uh, and then actually I talked to RC about us getting together to actually do uh, one of his televangelist uh, podcasts, which is TV and movies one, where we're going to talk about some of the TV shows we've been watching during quarantine uh, and during this weird year of 2020. But uh, you got anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, just, uh, well, yeah, one other thing, uh, NFL season starting. So be on the lookout for um, for our NFL podcast. It's really good. I enjoyed listening to UNRC uh, and your son, who would make an occasional appearance before <laughs> the NFL be on games there. last year. He's a trip. Uh, but with that, this has been another edition of the Backdoor Cover. Sorry we've been uh, a few weeks without doing one, but we're going to get back going. You know, with the NFL, uh, we're, we'll definitely be breaking down games each week. But, Alan, it's great to talk to you, buddy. Take care. All right, man. You too.